You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Dylan. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the Earn and Invest, Invest podcast. My wife and I agreed on all the big things when we first met. Children, check. Religion, check. But in truth, we didn't talk much about money. She came from an immigrant family struggling to economically make it in the U.S., I, an upper-middle-class suburbanite with professional parents, couldn't have been more different. Yet, it turned out, when it came to money, we actually were quite similar. Earn as much as you can, save as much as you can, and invest. Certainly, there were some arguments along the way. Strangely, I, with my wealthy upbringing, was much less comfortable spending than she was. But we made it work. Not surprisingly, many couples don't. They build a disjointed relationship with money and themselves, a relationship based on scarcity. What they need, say my guest today, is to invest in something other than stocks, bonds, and real estate. They need to invest in the abundant marriage. In the span of 18 months, Rebecca Brooks and Dylan Pollock had paid off $45,000 in debt, paid for a wedding in cash, and still managed to travel for a few months out of the year. But while going through the process, they were dissatisfied with the advice that didn't fit their values and lifestyle. Along the journey, they became experts in personal finance and were able to strike a balance between enjoying the moment and reaching goals. They knew they needed to share their approach and so decided to use this passion to become financial coaches. Rebecca and Dylan, welcome to Earn and Invest. Rebecca, was money a big stressor in your relationship early on? You know, yes and no. Um, kind of similar to what you're saying is we did have a lot of things very much in common when it came to the smaller things, like the the small spending decisions and, and whatnot. That didn't usually get a lot in the way. But when it came to thinking about the bigger goals and the future long term, that was really when it became recognizable to us that we had some different money mindsets and some different views on what was maybe possible for us in the in the future and in the long run. Dylan, talk about the financial circumstances in which you met. We mentioned in the introduction some debt. How were things financially when you first met? When we first met, uh, like you said, I was the primary owner of all that debt or most of that debt, right? Uh, but I also was working outdoor education, which is a fun amazing, fulfilling job, but at the same time, it barely pays the bills. And so I was living paycheck to paycheck. And really like I was, I knew how to manage the money that I had, but I can never see beyond like a 
couple paychecks in my life. And so thinking, like Rebecca said, on those big things, like the conversation about a house, that just seemed like way far-fetched and way too far in the future for me to even grasp at the time when we first met. So Rebecca, tell me the truth here, right? So you marry this guy, he comes in with all the debt, and he's like living his best life at a low-paying job. (laughs) I mean, that had to cause some stress, right? You know, we kind of got lucky, at least in the sense that we both just love to do really cheap things. Like we both love to just hike and camp. And, you know, for where we were in that season in life, it it was pretty simple. Uh, But it was scary in the same point where I was working really hard to provide for myself and had to do that from a very young age. Just to know that like I had to, I had this goal with my career and what I needed to earn and wanting to buy a home and do all these different things. And then having the debt and not really having that sort of mindset for earning more and whatnot, that that was a little bit of a challenge for us. And, and those dynamics of even the gender roles, traditionally, traditional gender roles being reversed even um, and, and things like that, that was really where we found our friction. Rebecca, we mentioned what Dylan did. What were you doing at the time when you first met? So when we first met, I had just gotten started in my uh, career in outdoor retail. So I did specialty outdoor retail for about 10 years. Um, and before that, actually, I worked in a level one trauma, trauma unit in Dallas, Texas. Um, that was my that was my college job. Um, <laughs> so some, kid, some people were flipping burgers and I was in a level one trauma unit. <laughs> so, Dylan, you know, part of your story is you guys became coaches because you realized that maybe the resources weren't really out there that could help couples navigate these waters. Dylan, tell me about what resources you guys found when you first started searching. What helped you in the beginning? You know, I think like a lot of people, we stumbled across Dave Ramsey and, you know, his seven baby steps. But when we, especially when we thought about like the lifestyle that we wanted to live, you know, this whole gazelle-like intensity, we just couldn't relate to that because we wanted to travel. We wanted to do things. And so the idea of giving up everything to just speed through life and miss those beautiful moments along the way just didn't totally appeal to us. I'm, and I know it works for other people and it definitely got us on the right start. But for us, it was, let's pay off some debt. And then when we hit one of these debt milestones, let's go take a backpacking trip. Or you know, once we get to a certain level, let's go do something else, like take a vacation down to Hawaii. So we had these rewards that we built in along the way. I know one of the biggest things where we were like, okay, Dave Ramsey's really just, it's not totally it was again, I had this very long term focus and like just down to the stop investing until you're completely out of debt. And I was like, there's, there's no way Jose, like that's just not happening. Um, So I'm going to continue to invest my 15%. I'm going to continue to uh, travel and I'll cut down in other ways so that we can reach the goals on time, but I'm not going to miss my life because I do think that those earlier experiences in my life made me realize like you just aren't promised tomorrow. You aren't promised the next hour. And so you have to strike that balance. It's an interesting point, right? Because a lot of people, especially in debt, come to the personal finance world through Dave Ramsey. Do you think he addresses kind of the couple's issue versus is it much more kind of you as an individual have to get out of debt? That's a that's a great question. I, I think that in some sense, he is addressing the couple's stuff because he'll talk about like, there's someone in the relationship who could be a spender or saver, or there's the, the, what's the, uh, he has a couple analogies that he likes to use when he talks about relationships. But I do think it is 
I do think I looked at it through a personal lens at that time because a lot of it, I did feel like that was my debt and it was what I needed to take care of. Because uh, like when we were thinking about our relationship, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, money can cause a lot of problems. It can cause cause friction. It leads to divorces occasionally. And so we just didn't want that to be the, the reason that we got a divorce or our relationship went south. And so I really saw this as something I needed to take care of so that we could set this relationship up for success. The antidote, it sounds like, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, is this concept of the abundant marriage. But Rebecca, first, tell us how you guys went from the outdoor world, right? Because you both were involved, employed, doing things in the outdoor world and ended up financial coaches. Yeah, it really just boiled down to doing it for ourselves, getting ourselves out of debt, getting ourselves to these milestones of um and and knowing that we always wanted to start our own business. We knew that we wanted to be entrepreneurs and um through our experience with the businesses that we worked for, kind of proved to ourselves that we could. And we always knew that we wanted those businesses to help others. We saw those things really coinciding once we had reached our own financial goals. And then there was like this big government shutdown in our area that really hurt our community because we were at a national park community, a gateway community. And that just shut everybody's income down. And even, you know, the park rangers, our business, it was like, we weren't able to give people hours and that was, you know, hurting people's ability to buy their groceries, you know, but we weren't really touched by it. And, and we didn't have to worry about what was going to happen next because we had taken all these steps. And so that's really how we knew that it felt like a calling for us to help other people actually do the steps because it's one thing to just hear the advice. And it's another thing to get somebody to really walk you through what needs to happen and build a strategy and help you get clear on, on, What's the best thing for you to do? Because you can read blogs till your, you know, eyes go glazed over and you can listen to podcasts forever. But it's another thing to say, hey, this, these are my variables. What do I do with them? And he wants to save, but I think we need to pay off the debt. And I, I, we just can't agree, you know. And so you really need somebody to sit down and talk to. And so that was re- re- just all those things together was how we knew, like, wow, coaching, coaching could really be it. So Dylan, this brings us to this concept of the abundant marriage. And I feel like this is a big part of your coaching platform. We're going to get into the specific steps involved, but give us a thumbnail sketch. What does that mean? What is the abundant marriage? The abundant marriage is how we look at our relationship with each other and then with money. And so when we're building an abundant marriage, we're thinking of ourselves as working together to make sure that we're setting our relationship up for success and setting our finances up for success as well, and making sure that money isn't a wedge in the relationship. But rather, it's what helps us bring our dream life to fruition. So it's this tool that the thing that we want to build together actually has a chance at coming to reality. Rebecca, do you feel like the opposite is true. Most people come to the relationships with much more of a scarcity mindset when it comes to their marriage and the money involved. I, I do think so. I think in a lot of ways, we're so we're there are a lot of narratives out there that are going on that I think can be pretty prominent. And we all have negative bias anyways, right? So they're going to be what stand out to us. Um, that most marriages end in divorce because of all these different reasons, or that, you know, there's these insurmountable odds for building wealth and all those sorts of things. And so people can kind of uh, get distracted by those points or they can influence them so much that then they bring those 
well, I don't, this is not going to work out anyway, mindset or they, all this fear and lack. And so I do think that, um, you know, most people, it's not your fault, but there's a lot of scarcity in this world. And um, it's very interesting for, it's for a lot of different reasons for different people. Um, But whatever those reasons are, it's worth definitely working through. But yeah, a lot of people carry that with them. So Dylan, step one of building the abundant marriage is this idea of how to build a strong foundation. I believe this has a lot to do with this idea of mission and vision. And so first and foremost, I'm thinking back to my own marriage. I think we had a lot of shared mission and vision, but we certainly never talked about it. Is this a sticking point with a lot of couples, like the ones that come to you? Have they thought as far as to think what's our shared mission and vision when it comes to the relationship and money? No, I think a lot of times people believe it's understood, but it's never actually been clearly spoken with one another. And so, you know, let's take, let me use an example. Most people think that they're disagreeing with their spouse about these small things, but uh, in the relationship with with money. But then when you start to take a step back and you look at this 30,000 foot view, you realize that you really have a lot more in line together than you really thought. But that's, that's what that, that creating the foundation and understanding each other really comes into play is that you maybe never had these conversations to begin with. And it really helps you understand I'm on the same page with my spouse. I just never understood that yet. I never talked about it in this detail before. Rebecca, did you have these conversations? Because I'm thinking back again, I didn't. And so I'm wondering when people come to coaching for you, is it kind of like, oh, like we never thought to talk about that? Yes, absolutely. They they really... So when people do come to us, they feel as though it's understood and like they've kind of talked about it, but yeah, very loosely or maybe not as much as they really think. And, um, you know, for us in, in our personal journey, we we did very much talk about this a lot. Um, I think there's one thing that's been very just intuitive for me when we were even just dating was kind of doing these like journal prompts and and things just to make sure that we made sense and that we were thinking about the same things and wanted the same things and we're looking towards a life that was aligned together. Um, but that intentional action and actually writing it down and seeing it written on a page of this is what we're trying to do together. Um, that act is so powerful and most people just don't do it. And so getting that mission, mission and that vision, even a vision board uh, in place for your marriage and what you want your future to look like together is really incredibly powerful. Rebecca, I think that brings us to step two. We're talking about step two of, of four steps to build the abundant marriage. And step two is getting financially intimate. And as you're talking about the vision board and writing it all down, obviously, as people get married, they bring a lot of different types of intimacy to the table. Why don't people get financially intimate from the starting point? What what holds them back? A lot of it boils down to the same reasons that we don't get intimate in a lot of other ways or afraid to reveal certain things about ourselves, right? It comes down to fear. Uh, it comes down to those um, lower levels of consciousness that we all can experience in different things of shame and guilt and you know worry that if I let my spouse know this mistake that I made, they'll love me less. Um, they won't see me the same way and they'll think that I'm stupid. They're going to judge me. They won't trust me anymore. You know, 
So we we tell ourselves these stories when we're afraid to make mistakes and we feel as though we don't have that level of um, comfort with our spouse and we don't have these spaces where we feel safe enough to be open and honest without that judgment that we can't fully share what we're thinking and what we've what's going on. So I think that that's what gets in most couples way is just that concern that they're going to damage the marriage if they maybe say the wrong thing or that they're going to be loved less because they don't know the answers. Dylan, talk about this idea of money stories, because I think that's a big part of that financial intimacy is actually allowing your spouse to see what money stories you grew up with. The Klontzes would say what money scripts, right? Talk about the role money stories play in this financial intimacy. I think a lot of times in relationships, you have to understand yourself before you can really understand your spouse or your spouse can understand you. So the money story plays two parts in this is that you may not understand what that invisible script is that you've been living your life with with money for the past however many years. And so that's really just helpful for you to understand. But then when your spouse starts to understand the way that you view and see money, they also then get to look at situations and say, oh, you know what? When I did this in the past, I realized that really triggered you and got you upset. And I can see why that happened now, because when you were growing up as a kid, you had you didn't have much. And so you like to save as much as possible or 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 the opposite is like you you didn't you didn't have much. So you like to spend. And so when you save money, it just it it makes you feel like you you aren't living the life that you want to live now. You want to be the opposite of the life that you had in the past. But by understanding your story, it helps your spouse understand how they can re not react, but how they can act with you and and make sure that they're they're coming to you properly and and treating you with love and respect. I'll open this question up to both of you, putting you on the spot a touch. Talk about how these money stories play out in actual scenarios. Can you talk about some of the people you've coached and how maybe coming to terms with people's own money stories has changed the relationship or changed that kind of intimacy that the partners have had? This one, so one couple in particular, their their money stories. We really got to this point um, of within our coaching with them, and it really just came became very obvious through the discussions and and the work that we suggest for them to do that the reason that they were you know struggling to agree on their priorities really came down to these money stories and how not only did the past influence how they're actually using money today, but how it impacts even how they view their ability to earn um, and how it, it impacts their ability to invest without fear with and deal with like risk, right? So one spouse in particular was very comfortable with their ability to earn and invest. Um, and then their, but their actual, but then the wife was less comfortable with that because she felt as though like the spending just wasn't working, right? And that all kind of ended up trickling down to just their, their personal views on um, their self-confidence with money um, and how they were actually raised with it. Like, so a lot of that comes down to their financial literacy too. So, you know, she doesn't know as much about investing. Um, and so that just automatically makes it seem riskier. Even uncovering those things that might seem simple to us who are experts in the space, but they're really important to recognize, like, that's why those priorities are so different because she's, you know, not feeling secure in the day-to-day spending. So it's hard for her to look long-term. Dylan, a big part of this step, step two of the abundant marriage, getting intimate with your partner is the idea of trust, 
right? And so to marry someone, obviously, there has to be a certain amount of trust. But is it a different story when it comes to money, right? Because when we marry someone, we're really placing a lot of trust in them for all of the aspects of our life. But I feel like money is put aside or that trust has to be even built in a different way. So trust in money is is similar, but it definitely is different when it comes to our relationships because money is just one of these sticky subjects, especially when we when we first get into the relationship. We've been spending and using money for years by ourselves. And so to give someone access to our finances is is scary. It, it feels like there's a risk involved. What if this person spends all my money? What if they they see that I have a bunch of debt? There's a lot of what ifs that are thrown out because we're not really sure what the other person will do with that money if we give them access to it. And so a lot of people hesitate at this stage in the relationship we find is that combining finances, making sure that people have full transparency in the finance with money becomes really difficult, but it's, it's almost a, a wedge that we put into the relationship because we're not willing to dive all the way in. When we get married, we say that we're going to become one. We're going to work together on all these things, you know, for better or worse, health and sickness. And and then with money, it's the same thing. We, we need to bring it back together and share what we have with the other person. But it's so hard to get to that point. And by building trust, by doing little acts to prove that you're trustworthy, to show that you have trust, uh, that's that's really where it's going to be important so that you can actually start to combine those finances. Well, I think to your point too, Jordan, um, of at the beginning of the relationship, you are acting, I would say more so in faith than in trust, because trust is something that's really, it is earned over time. And so until you've had a chance to see the way, you know, with very intimately how your spouse manages money, then you're acting more so on faith than on trust, because trust is built off of, you know, your ability to your competency, your, um, your follow through, are you actually going to do what you say you're going to do and goodwill. Those are the three things that trust is made up of. And so those things take time because you have to say you're going to do something and then you have to do it and you have to do that a lot (laughs) and you have to do it well. And you have to do that a lot for someone to actually trust you to feel like you're good at it. Right. And then most couples also, most people in a relationship think that they know more about money than their spouse. And so that right there gets in trouble, that competency piece. So it just takes a really long time to build this trust and it takes a lot of intentional action. And so at first, when it is this act of faith, more so than anything else, that's when it is really scary because you are just kind of leaping in. Um, and that's kind of what we help people really work through is how can you start to build that trust so that you can feel comfortable being transparent with one another and and knowing that you do actually have not only the shared goals and values, but um, you have each other's best interest at heart. We are talking to Rebecca Brooks and Dylan Pollock, and they paid off $45,000 of debt, paid for a wedding in cash, and still managed to travel for a few months, all within the first 18 months of their marriage. And we are discussing the abundant marriage. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. 
The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R-U-S-A.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. We are back with Rebecca Books and Dylan Pollock. They are the rad coaches from the Rad Money podcast, and we are discussing the abundant marriage And basically, you guys talk about there being four steps, right? So step one is to build a strong foundation. Step two is to get financially intimate. Step three is to become interdependent. Explain what that means exactly. It's that ability to know that your partner has your back and the ability to, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people think that when they go into a marriage, they have this really big fear of becoming codependent, right? And what that can end up doing is then we act very independently, even though we're now in a couple and we're supposed to be working together. So interdependent is this just really beautiful space of, you know, having each other's back, feeling as though you can rely upon one another. And when it comes down to your, your money management, it's knowing that, well, even if I don't bring home all the money, I'm going to be a really huge part of managing that money. And I'm going to be a good steward of that for us, for our relationship. I'm going to spend our money, invest our money in ways that I think put us in the best position and, and, you know, we'll do the best for us. But also we're going to have conversations about this all the time because we respect one another. And it's not just me making decisions. I respect your points of view and your concerns, et cetera. So it's really replacing that term of of codependence and 
stop acting independently, but be interdependent, working together where now two truly has become one and you're working together as a team. And I, I've been trying to work and summarize these these concepts as much as possible in, in conversations behind the scenes. And so the way I've been really thinking about it is we have an independent relationship where it's all about me and all the things that I need in my life. Then we have a codependent person who's looking for the other person to help them out. So it's like, what can you do for me if I'm codependent? But then interdependent is thinking in terms of what can I do for you? And then your spouse is also doing the same thing, saying, what can I do for you? And so together we're helping each other out and we both win in that situation. Kind of like a Stephen Covey, this is a a win-win situation because I'm always thinking about what can I do for Rebecca? Rebecca's thinking, what can she do for me? And so together we're helping solve each other's problems instead of just thinking I have to do it on my own or just rely on the other person. Rebecca, am I incorrect in saying that as we move from step two, which is financial intimacy, to step three, which is interdependence, we're really moving maybe more from the mindset to the tactical? Does it feel like this step is much more action-based? Absolutely. Yeah. Becoming interdependent is really putting up the systems um, and saying, okay, now that we've laid this groundwork of understanding where we're coming from and that we, what our goals are, it's saying, okay, now how are we going to get it done? And what are the systems that we need in place? And what are the action steps that we're really going to start to take to move us towards those goals um, so that we can start to even work through those, the things that will come up along the way as we actually take the steps. Dylan, where do you think couples struggle most with? Do you think it's the mindset, mostly steps one and two, or is it the tactical where people really get caught? Uh, it's definitely the first few steps. It's, and that's why we start there. If if it were like, you can't get to the tactical until we start to kind of peel back some of the layers of communication and understanding that happen in the first two steps. And once we're able to communicate about money, which is just so important to a relationship. And then I start to understand where my spouse is coming from. Then it's so much easier to take care of the tactical stuff uh, because that, that you can't really deal with tactical until you've, you've started to understand your spouse and, and work with them. Yeah. And, and a lot of people too, you know, they think that their problem is just that they don't know the right thing to do yet. Right. They think that there's just like this really easy solution. They can just pick it off the shelf or pick it off a blog or, you know, whatever. And as soon as they have that bit of information that they'll be fine, they don't realize that what's getting in their way actually isn't just the lack of knowledge. It is the lack of understanding like yourself and your spouse and how you're actually working together. So most people think that it's just, I just need the right tool, or I just need to make more money, or I just need, you know, whatever. Uh, But it it really comes down to having that foundation of understanding and being able to work together. So that's definitely where most people get stuck because they don't even realize that they need it. Dylan, Rebecca mentioned this idea of a lot of people think I just need more money, right? I just need to make a lot of money. Do these steps work whether you're high income or low income? I mean, does it make a huge difference? Oh, absolutely. They would work either way. I mean, if you have a you know, the income can be kind of considered like a shovel and the size of your shovel gets bigger and bigger and you can do more work with it. But if you don't have the right relationship, if you don't have the right mindset around money, you know, you can you can make $100,000 and, and spend it all and live paycheck to paycheck. You could make $50,000 a year and be saving money. So the, the income doesn't matter. It's about understanding how you use money and, and how it plays a role in your life. But I always like to think about the relationship too is I can have a good relationship with no money, but all the money in the world won't create a good relationship. 
And so that's something that's really important with the, the program is that it's focusing on making sure that the relationship comes before the money, making sure that we're putting each other before the income and all those other things that money brings into the to our lives. Rebecca, I imagine you have to slow people down, right? Where they want to talk to you about their jobs and how they're <laughs> going to invest, et cetera. And you're like, wait, 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 we need so to much. really do some of the basic work first. So, so much, Jordan. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that can be a lot of the work in and of itself. Um, and also just even the accountability, the accountability that's like, hey, you know, you have to walk the steps and you have to actually do them before I'm gonna show you what has to happen next. Because the thing that gets in a lot of people's way as well is overwhelm because you can read again, you can just like find so much information now. And it's available to you at all times. But how do you know that's right for you? All this sorts of stuff. And then when are you actually executing? When are you actually going and doing the work? And so that's another reason why we have to really slow people down. It's not only like, okay, I, I know you really want to go do this real big fancy thing, but we have to check these boxes first. But also, did you check the box? <laughs> so actually do the work. Dylan, this is a lot of therapy. I mean, in a sense, I think we talk about financial coaching, but it, a lot of this is couples therapy, isn't it? Yeah. I, th I think that when we're talking about money in general too, like money is just this, the surface level of everything that's going on in our lives. So it's definitely understanding people, relationships. And yeah, I mean, in this way we are like the, what's, what's the saying, like the, the armchair therapist, you know, there's a lot of times of just listening and letting people talk. The, the It's amazing what happens when you prompt people with a question that they've never been asked before and you sit back and you watch the conversation go and then you just you you notice things that one one person in the relationship says and you see how the other person reacts and then you get to to say hey did you notice this uh and and then pull that out and then they get to talk about that moment in 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 the conversation and it's just it is really cool that you get to see how people who have never had conversations about money or been asked these questions before get to really think it out for themselves for the first time. And it's, it's awesome. And it's beautiful to see how they come together. Like, it's just so cool to see that, that financial intimacy and then that real intimacy, like being built over time. Like once they get through the program, you know, just seeing how they're responding to each other differently. And they, you can tell that, they don't, they're no longer like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this, but they're leaning in, you know, they're leaning yeah. in and, they, and they're saying, Hey, this is what I think. And I have, and they're asking their questions more forwardly. And they, they just feel safe. They know that like, okay, this isn't a dumb question. It's just, I just need the answer, you know? And it's just so cool to see that transformation in not only the dollars and cents, but how they're just interacting with each other on the screen. It's, it's really cool. Rebecca, before we get to step four, and I don't want to forget it to finish off the talking about the abundant marriage, but as you're speaking, I was just wondering, so clearly when you have a session, both spouses show up and you're coaching both spouses, but do you two also work together with the couples? So is it four people in the room, you two, as well as the two couples, or is it w one of you with the couple? That's a great question. Um, and I think a lot of people do get a little confused. You will work with just one of us. We don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. We do consult one another, um, you know, like out, outside of and, and try to make sure that we're leveraging each other's brains. But in the sessions, you're going to sit down with one of us and we even have uh, an option where you can like choose who, who do you drift more towards um, and who would you like to work with? 
So Dylan, step four is have an abundant marriage. And in this step, you talk about building the roadmap to financial freedom. Is this almost an afterthought? I mean, I feel like all the heavy lifting comes in steps one through three. Do you find that the couples after they've gone through the process actually struggle with that roadmap or the roadmap becomes fairly clear once they've done some of that hard work? The roadmap becomes clear, but this is almost going back to one of the early questions, earlier questions that you asked me is, okay, there, you know, you've, you've listened to Dave Ramsey and there's these steps that he recommends taking, but how do you apply this to your life and the life that you're trying to live? Right. And so this is where, if you know the rules, you can break the rules. And so we help people design a program and the steps so that it fits into their life and they can move at whatever pace that they want to make. But it, it's it guarantees that they're going to reach financial success, but not burn themselves out in the process and, uh, and, and really focusing on that success at the same time. Yeah, it's really where we talk more about um, making sure that we're going to help you, you know, set goals that are realistic and, and make sense for you. Um, but also talk about the sustainability of them and what that requires of of you and your lifestyle uh, so that you can get this done. And if that seems impossible to you, or if we're thinking too grandiose, again, if we want too much too fast and that's unrealistic, we're going to bring you down back down to earth and say, maybe we should do it this way. Right. Um, and so it's really laying out that plan for execution and making sure that they know while the the big buckets make sense. Okay. Pay off debt. Okay. Now invest. All right. You know, that that's all, yeah, it becomes very apparent, but getting down to that nitty gritty of, but how am I going to make those changes in my day-to-day life after this program is over? Um, that's really what it's about. Rebecca, we've been talking about the four steps of building the abundant marriage. I want to take an aside for a moment and talk about financial infidelity because it's something we talk about a lot in the personal finance realm. Is this something you are seeing in your coaching and does it become a major hurdle? We absolutely see it. Um, It's different levels of it and people don't really know that they're doing it. I think that people believe that these small little transgressions are somewhat innocent, they're little white lies, um, but they do add up over time. That's kind of a, a chink in your in your armor um, every time that you make a purchase without talking to your spouse that's outside of your agreed upon amount, every time that you hide that Amazon package or do just any of those little things with your money that just go against what you agreed upon, that people are guilty of it. And it seems really small, but it's just, it's more like this analogy of the death of a thousand cuts where over time that adds up and it makes it really hard to trust you with the bigger things. And so we do see it a lot, um, not so much with really huge transgressions. Um, but you know, I was speaking to someone the other day who was just a listener of, of the show and said that I had helped them realize that they had done this and they actually had gone and, and bought a truck without talking to their spouse. And they hadn't really realized like, oh, wow, that was not okay. You know, and it's like, like they knew, but they didn't, you know? <laughs> um, and so I, we haven't really had a lot of that show up in the actual coaching yet. Most of us are guilty of it in one way or another. So Rebecca, up to this point, we've been talking about the financial coaching, and we're really just talking about the couples, but a lot of people come to this process and they have kids. Does having kids change anything about the process? 
Not really. It it really still focuses a lot on the relationship. The way that children work into it is more about the life that you want to create for your children, the wealth that you want to build for them. So it helps with like the motivation. Obviously, they're in that vision mission statement. Um, they're going to be a huge part of that, as well as the priorities as we start to say, okay, well, are we, you know, a lot of people get stuck in this question of, are we going to save for retirement? Or are we going to save for our kids' college, right? Those are the questions, though, that that will come up. But the the process itself is still really focused on your relationship. And that will trickle into, into the kids. And how do you want to show up for your children in terms of like, what relationship do you want to see? You know, we talk about money stories, right? Well, how much of how you manage money now is because of how you saw your parents' marriage, of how you saw your parents manage it. So then now as a parent, how do you want your children to see their parents talk about money? Do you only want it to be an argument so that then when they get hitched, now they don't want to talk about money because mommy and daddy always fought about money. And so, no, we're not going to do that. You know, <laughs> so but it's really important um, and it does come up, but it doesn't really change the program itself. It just gets integrated into it. Dylan, I imagine that in doing this counseling, you are not only affecting all of the couples that come see you, but the couples are probably also in some ways affecting you both. Talk to me about how doing this coaching has affected your own marriage. Yeah. That's a great question. (laughs) I think the whole process of stepping into coaching couples in general shined a huge light on our relationship, Jordan, in a way that I don't think we weren't ready for this when we first started, actually. Like we were just financial coaches. And then it wasn't until a year ago that we really leaned into couples because we we enjoyed helping couples the most. And we knew that our story was, it all started with us. But it when we started doing this, it really did shine a light on our relationship. And we had to, we had to say to ourselves, like, where are we with our relationship? How, what can we do better? And I, I mean, I'll speak for me personally. I've I've screwed up a bunch in this relationship. And so in, in the podcast, I'm so I think there's a lot of times where we're giving people advice about communication, coming forward about making mistakes. And it's because I've seen other couples admit these things because I realize that if I'm going to talk about relationships, I have to make sure that I'm putting everything into my relationship. Uh, I need to put everything out there and make sure that I'm doing everything possible to make sure our relationship is good. Some of these conversations that we're having, it sounds like we're giving each like giving advice on the podcast. We're really talking through some of the stuff that we went through without exactly saying it. And it's it's really deep sometimes. Uh, and it can get emotional yeah. recording together. It, it really can. Yeah. I was about to say, I imagine the onus is, Rebecca, for you to feel like you have to have the perfect relationship, right? In a sense, financially, you feel like you have to have everything together, or how are you going to walk into these rooms with these couples or even be on the podcast and talk about the abundant marriage? You know, I've got to say, I don't struggle with that. Um, I I really don't. Um, I'm very grateful for the lessons that we've learned because we're imperfect. And and helping other people who just haven't learned what we have yet, uh, learn from us. And and but I don't feel a pressure to be perfect. I will say though that you know there's the saying that if you want to be better at something, help somebody else be better at something. And I do think that that has been true for our relationship because as we've we're saying, okay, we want to talk about financial infidelity. Okay, we want to talk about uh, you know we want to have an episode about financial abuse. All these sorts of things, right? There's very challenging conversations. Um, or just today's episode was about building trust. So that pulls a lot from us and what in our personal experience, but also as we're saying, well, how 
are we seeing our our work help other people? And then it just reminds us to do it for ourselves, you know? And so that's really powerful. Um, and I think has definitely helped us reach a, a new level in our relationship of just always having that mirror up and saying, you know what, we want to keep reaching for higher, higher and higher. And how do we help other people do the same? Well, Rebecca and Dylan, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. As I think about our conversation, it really strikes me how different financial intimacy and building financial abundance into your relationship is different than the other types of intimacies that I think come naturally as people decide to tie the knot and live a life together. And so it's really refreshing to hear how you take couples who are intimate in other ways and help them hash out some of these very difficult financial issues in order to feel abundance in all parts of their lives, as well as their marriage. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where people can find you. Rebecca, first and foremost, tell us about what is happening on the Rad Money podcast and with the Rad coaches in general. Yeah. So um, we're really focused on just bringing more people to the abundant marriage. We're still working on one-on-one coaching and that's a huge part of it. We're um, running running a couple workshops and um, that's really exciting, specifically around building trust. And then also we have a free budgeting and cash flow course that we offer to folks as well. So we're working on always making that better and just making financial education really accessible because that's the one thing that gets in a lot of people's way of working with a coach is just checking those first few boxes and making sure that they have the money to do it. Um, And so we help you do that for free. Dylan, what is the best way to interact with you guys and get access to some of these resources? You can find our podcast wherever you listen to any podcast. It's called the Rad Money Podcast. And we are on Instagram as Rad Coaches. And if you send us a message, we aren't as active as we used to be, but we definitely respond to all the messages that come in through that inbox. Well, Rebecca and Dylan, uh, the Rad Money Podcast, Rad Coaches, thank you so much for being on Earn and Invest. Thank you for having us. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. The Abundant Marriage. I've been thinking about what this means in my marriage, specifically financially. I've always said that my wife and I came to our relationship with similar economic beliefs, similar financial behaviors, but I've been really reflecting on that lately. I go back to when we started dating. My wife came from a family that didn't have a lot of money. They were immigrants to the United States. They lived in poverty for quite a bit of time. And so she always had the savers mentality. She was always very frugal, very careful with her money. I, on the other hand, came from a very upper-middle-class family. My parents were both professionals, owned their own businesses, invested in the stock market and real estate. So our experiences were quite different. I grew up with a certain amount of abundance, and that's not to say that my parents weren't also frugal and didn't also save a lot of money. Uh, But we went on the nice vacations and stayed at the nice hotels, and I had traveled out of the country even as a kid. Things that I took for granted until I met my wife. On the other hand, I was never big into spending money, and I had modeled from my parents a lot of this good saving and investing behavior. 
So when we first got married or, or when we first met, it was pretty normal for us to save and be frugal and invest. In fact, when we combined our finances, usually we would live off of one of our salaries and save the other person's salary. And this made a lot of economic sense. And we built a life together this way, always being very careful. We did buy a number of houses and eventually we invested in real estate as well as the stock market. But there was very little disagreement. Interestingly enough, I have to admit, even though I came from the wealthier background, I was less likely interested in spending or upgrading or doing those kind of things. And over the years, I've noticed that it's not like our relationship is frictionless. I still get anxious over spending money. My wife is still more likely to think that there is value in spending that money, whether that's to rehab the house or to buy nice clothes or to spend extra money on a vacation so we can stay at the nicer hotel or Airbnb. All things that don't necessarily come naturally to me. One thing I've realized, though, is that I have to loosen the reins. Like, our money, the money my wife and I have made, the money that we've put away to support this family is our money and not my money. And just because I don't feel comfortable with spending doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it. And sometimes maybe even that spending can be frivolous. I mean, isn't that the point of making a lot of money and saving and investing is that you can then take that money and sometimes spend when you don't need to spend unnecessarily have that extra bit of comfort, stay at that nicer place, go on that more expensive vacation. Of course, you don't need to. My life would still be full whether we stayed at the nicer Airbnb or not. But what is the purpose of having this money if you don't spend it? I think that's a big part of the abundant marriage, and it doesn't just go away when you're newlyweds and figure it out for the first time. It's a series of repeated conversations based on the fact that you and your spouse grow and change and evolve, and the things that interest you today may not have been the things that interested you when you were younger. So I love this concept of building the abundant marriage, but I feel like it's necessary to remind ourselves that that's a continuous process. That is not a one and done. That's a process you will do over and over again in your marriage. Some people like to have these financial meetings or financial dates uh, with their spouse. A lot of people do it once a week or once a month, and they'll spend 30 minutes over a meal or a glass of wine or what have you. Each person is different. But I will say that reinvesting in that abundant relationship talking about what your new goals are and reanalyzing from time to time is important because what feels like abundance yesterday may be 100% different than what you think of as abundance today. All right, I continue things just the after show is just us chatting afterwards. So I keep recording for just a little bit. Is there anything I didn't mention? Anything kind of about the abundant marriage or your platform that you really think people need to know about and we didn't touch on? 
the longer you think the better job I did. <laughs> I mean, you really like spice going through each yeah. step. We we covered every inch of it. Yeah, infidelity, intimacy. I think yeah, I think you did a wonderful job. Wonderful. Thank you very much. I I really um as I, I say to people all the time, I, I love interviewing people. Like to me, that is one of the most fantastic, fun things to do. And so my goal is always to try to pull the best of what, what you guys have out there with the questions. And like I said, that's why some of the questions may seem off the wall at times. Um, but uh, I think you guys do some really, really important things. And I think money and marriage, as you guys said, it's a huge, huge cause of divorce. And yeah, I think like we're really good at giving people personal finances if they live in a vacuum. We're give, good at giving them personal finance advice as they live in a vacuum. But that's not how we live our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And usually there's more than one person, especially for married couples, there's more than one person involved in decision making. Um, and that's its own problem and set of issues, right? Because oh. it's not just doing the right thing. It's now having the right conversations and finding your shared goals and I, I think it's just a really difficult thing to do yeah it really is and so many people think that to do it they have to compromise and sacrifice like those are the words that come to people's mind is that just like if we do have these conversations and i do let go and we do fully go for this interdependent i'm not going to get what i want you know and so that makes it so scary for folks and but it really is a matter of like, but what do you want together? And I guarantee you it's better than what you could have by yourself. <laughs> right. I, I definitely see it as there's always this resistance to becoming a team. It, it's so interesting, right? Like we get married and we're supposed to become one and we're supposed to do these things together. But all of a sudden, there's so many times in the relationship where my wife is my adversary, but why? I never married her to be my adversary. And when <laughs> I change that mindset and I start to think, wait, she's my teammate. And I'm thinking now we get to run the race together. How much further can we go? How much faster could we get there if we work together is just such an interesting concept that people like it's a it's such a subtle mindset shift. It's so simple. It's like it's it's obvious and it's there. But you just have to remind people that that's the case. Like you married your best friend. You married someone that you wanted to build a life with, not not to like fight with and and to like go in separate paths. It's But it's difficult. I mean. It's not, it's not an easy path to take. You have to learn to control your ego. Yeah. <laughs> we all have it. And I think people talk about it way too much with just men. And it's like, no, we got them too. <laughs> yeah, that, that mind switch from adversary to advocate, I think is just yeah. huge, right? Um, because, right, if someone could be pulling you down or they could be pushing you up and it makes a huge difference. Absolutely. What they're Absolutely. doing. And, but we forget that. I mean, it's, it's really kind of silly, but we very much forget forget that in relationships. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is where the ego can, that automatic brain of just like me, me, self-preserve, self-preserve. Right. And as soon as that trips, you go, if you aren't, don't really work on building that habit of turning that off and saying that's wrong, that's not true. That's a lie. This person is for you, not against you. You have to like rewire your brain to recognize that this is a friend, not a foe find the common ground. <laughs> and that's something I struggled with actually in, in the relationship. It was just like, Rebecca would say something and I would take it as a criticism, but she was really just saying like, uh, she was trying to help me out in, in this situation. I can, I could think of a, a, some really silly examples. Like, you know, I'm washing dishes and she's like, there's still like a little smudge on the dish. I'm like, I, I did the, you know, it's like, <laughs> I did the dishes perfectly. Right. But really, the, but it's like, she's just helping me make sure that all the dishes are clean, which is the job I said I was going to do anyway. So yeah, <laughs> it's a funny example. Yeah. yeah. But it, but it is true. And I think it, it, per it's pervasive in 
all areas of our relationship, but it gets really sticky with money, right? Because yeah. we get super hyper sensitive when it comes to money. Whereas if you tell me I'm not doing the dishes right, most like I'll be okay, whatever, and I'll fix it or, you know, but it won't, it won't cause a schism in our relationship most of the time if our relationship is relatively strong. But you start criticizing how someone deals with money or even making points, not even, I think criticism is the wrong word, right? You start making them aware of some of the things they're doing with money. And that really can be a sensitive topic. Absolutely. Yeah. Just really getting into that defensive mode. And and that can be challenging. I think another thing that's really hard is just learning to express your own needs mm. uh, can be very challenging because as you know, if you're saying that this is what I need and that's always going to be attached to money, yeah. everything's attached to money. So whenever it comes to that in particular, that can be really challenging. So saying, you know, down to we need more money in the budget for groceries. We need more money in the budget for the kids. This we need more money in the budget. That's just really hard um, for people to do. But then even harder if it's just for you personally. Um, especially for some people who just really struggle to be people pleasers or perfectionists and they don't want to get in people's way. And, you know, so it's like uncovering even those sorts of things that make it really challenging. And I'm really think that it like, again, that's a really big space where that trickles into every part of your relationship. I think that part of financial intimacy does trickle into bedroom intimacy. Like if you can't state your needs here, are you stating your needs over here? I don't know. (laughs) Now, I really connect with what you were saying about about specifically your needs. That was certainly a point with me when, you know, I was a high paid physician with my own practice, et cetera, but it was really making me unhappy. And and to go to my family and my wife specifically and say, you know what, I need to step away from this, which means we're going to have a severe drop in income, um, which we could handle. We had plenty of money to do it. But that was very hard for me to say, I need to do this for me. And it's going to come at an expense, right? This is, you know, we're not going to make this much anymore. We're going to make this much. Um, and so I very much connect with what you're saying there. It's very hard as an individual within a couple sometimes to say, I need this. And maybe this is going to cause some kind of strain, but it's what I need. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Because change is just hard in general, too. And so by stating your needs, you're making the change. And I think, in, you know, again, in relationships, like we want to be good to our partner. And yeah. so sometimes that, that change, like you said, it comes at a, a, a quote sacrifice. Uh, we're going from this income down to an, a lower income. How is that going to affect everybody? I don't want to be the reason we're, we're hurting potentially. Yeah. yeah. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts. 